Brexit, the British exit from the European Union. Until COVID-19 struck, it dominated our headlines, TV screens and radio broadcasts. Brexit means Brexit. Brexit means breakfast. Brexit. Think about Brexit. What's, what's that? Brexit is bothering both ends of the business spectrum. We must leave the EU. So it'll be harder to go on holidays. Yeah, I think so. Oh, I love my holidays. Yeah. yeah. The global pandemic has diverted our attention for the last few months, but the deadline for the end of the Brexit transition period is looming closer. And we still don't have much idea what's going to happen at the end of December. Will the UK still be in the single market? Will we have a customs union? Is Kent going to become a massive car park? Are supermarket shelves going to be empty? No one knows. A deal is still being struck, which means UK businesses have to be prepared for myriad potential outcomes. This mini-series for the London Business Hub is getting to the heart of the Brexit-related issues affecting small to medium-sized businesses. In each episode, we're going to be taking one specific issue, be that tariffs, the loss of skilled labour or food labelling, and try to see how businesses could be better prepared for whatever comes next. To make things easier, we've paired each London business with a relevant expert, and between us, we'll try to bring a bit of understanding and clarity to the situation. Obviously, we don't have all the answers, as so much remains unknown, but in this podcast, we're going to do the best we can. My name's Nick Wallace. Thank you very much for listening. In this episode, we're going to be looking at product labelling in the EU and what a thorny topic it's turned out to be. As far as I understand, EU law requires an EU address to be printed on the label of every product that's sold there. What that means for British-based businesses is they either have to find a distributor with an EU address or open up a new EU subsidiary. Both could involve significant expense. With me today is Mark McCormack, Director of Party Supplies Company Talking Tables. Mark's been exporting to the EU, the US, Australia and the Far East for years and labelling rules have always been relatively straightforward. But now the waters are murkier. To satisfy the EU labelling law, Mark has set up a company in Holland. So far, he can't find confirmation anywhere that this is the right or wrong thing to do. There's just no advice on this issue anywhere, not government websites, EU websites or business advice websites. So to help shed some light on the matter... We're joined by commercial lawyer Stephen Sidkin, partner at Fox Williams Solicitors. This podcast was recorded at the beginning of September 2020. Mark, thank you for coming on to this podcast. Tell me about Talking Tables. When was it founded and how did you get involved? Sure, sure. Okay, uh, so we set up at the end of the 90s. Uh, Claire Harris, my partner, business partner and uh, social partner, I guess, um, uh, she saw a gap in the market for um, party accessories aimed at adults that you could buy in coordinating designs and colours. Um, prior to that, if you wanted to buy red napkins and red paper plates and red paper cups, they would have all been slightly different designs and not coordinating, so the table wouldn't have been as nice. Um, uh, an example of a coordinated market would be um, kids' licences. So Disney, for instance, you've always been able to buy coordinated accessories for that, but not in adult. And um, her background was actually in sales. She worked in um, Tillpoint software sales for IBM. And my background was in design and print. 
So I've got that knowledge of, of how inks get on paper and various other materials. So Claire set it up in 1997, did quite a lot of research, including working in retail. She got a job in Limitis for three months uh, to be on the shop floor uh, to see what that was like. Uh, and got some mood boards, uh, mock-ups done, and then she started knocking on doors, and those doors were customers like uh, Paper Chase, Heels, Habitat, who would buy the product by getting interest from the larger customers to start with. It then meant that we had confidence in terms of ordering the product because there's always a minimum order quantity for print and that kind of thing. How did you sort out your distribution within the UK when you started having to scale up to the demands of chain stores? Well, initially it was run from home and the front room and the back room became storage areas full of boxes and, um, and we would pick the orders from there and rebox them and then uh, couriers would turn up daily to take them away. So that was how it was for, for, for a couple of years. It then, that then became unmanageable. So we found a, a warehouse stroke distribution centre in northeast London and they, they took on the boxes and the order picking, etc. Since then, we've moved on from them to... Um, we're, we're with a distribution centre in Southampton and we've got, and we've got about 3,000 pallets worth of stock so it wouldn't fit in the front room anymore. <laughs> and what made you decide to start exporting? What, what, what occasioned that thought? I think because from very early on we started doing exhibitions like the Spring Fair um, Top Draw in London uh, which are gift exhibitions. So you get a lot of interest at these uh, exhibitions from overseas buyers who've come to buy other things for their retail outlets. So it pretty much immediately there was a, a requirement to export. Of course. So you've grown the business quite considerably, 50 employees and a turnover of 15 million. Yes, that's right. It's a 20-year period though. So, But, the, but the, there was two of us for three years. So it was quite slow in the early days. We didn't invest heavily or uh, take on three salespeople or anything like that. So we grew it quite slowly. And then as time's gone on, yeah, we've, we've expanded up to the size we are. So, yeah. Organic growth, as the investors like to yes. say, I believe. Um, so tell me about Brexit. What was your initial concern or opportunities that you spotted and um, we'll, we'll, we'll grope our way towards the specific labelling issue uh, that, that you've got or uh, the company that you set up in Holland in a moment but just just give me a kind of broad brush when Brexit happened did you immediately start to have discussions with your clients and colleagues about what it would mean or did you adopt a sort of wait and see approach? In terms of from a business perspective the major impact is going to be around uh, export because of the duty and VAT issue. We do import from Europe as well. And to be honest, on the import side, I think, if anything, things will be a bit easier because some duties are being removed. So on the import side, things are okay. But I immediately saw on the, on the export side, we're going to have problems selling to these smaller retailers because they aren't going to be in a position where they can handle customs clearance. 
they're not going to be set up to be able to do it for a start, even if they wanted to do it and wanted to pay the duty and the VAT. No one wants to do that, really. So um, so I, I was concerned, um, and, uh, and we, we had to start considering what we were going to do long term. Why is it that you decided to set up your own company in Holland rather than maybe cut a deal with a distributor whose address you might be able to use? Because this this boils down to specific legislation, as I understand it, whereby you must have an EU-based address on the products that you sell within the EU, whether it's a distributor or an actual manufacturer. Is that right? That's right, yeah. So why not, why not sort of cut a deal with the distributor say, right, we'll slap your address on our products as, uh, as they go through Europe rather than set up your own company? Um, we do work with distributors. We tend to work with them when you can't service the market directly. Either it's too costly or it's too slow. So Australia, for instance, we would sell to a, a distributor in Australia. You do lose control of your brand to a certain degree when you use distributors. Uh, you're, you're beholden to them on who they sell to. And um, so I, I think in terms of our model, we can service these customers from a Southampton-based warehouse. We don't need the goods to be on the EU mainland. Long term, you might do that because it would make economic sense to split your storage. But for the moment, we, we can service the, a customer in Berlin just as easily from Southampton uh, than if we had a warehouse based in Holland, for instance. So the company that you set up in Holland is what? Is is basically a wholly owned subsidiary of Talking Tables UK. And the purpose of that is so that we can put their name and their address onto the packaging as the um, responsible body, effectively. Which therefore satisfies the EU regulation about labelling of products sold in the EU. There are third parties that will do this for you. Uh, We looked at that, but we thought we don't really want a third party's name on our product and there's a cost to it. So whereas the cost for setting up the um, Netherlands subsidiary was about €1,000 and it's about €1,000 a year to keep it going as well. Well, we're going to bring in Stephen Sidkin, who's the uh, founding partner and commercial and technology expert at Fox Williams Solicitors. Hi, Stephen. Hi. You've no doubt been listening to what Mark's had to say there. First of all, what do you think of his um, setting up of a Dutch company, which essentially acts as a wholly owned subsidiary of the UK operation and allows Talking Tables to put uh, their own EU company address on the products that they sell within the EU? The issue that uh, I understand was driving Mark was not to have a third party name on the uh, on the products, uh, but at the same time satisfy what has to be required uh, under EU law. Yes. So far as uh, the law is concerned, the EU law um, has been implemented into English law as it has in, has been implemented into the laws of all the 27 member states of the EU. The law in question, so far as English law is concerned, is the General Product Safety Regulations. And what we're talking about here is essentially an issue of product safety. Yes. So that if someone is injured by a product, um, there can be someone at some point in the supply chain 
within the jurisdiction who can be held responsible for the problem that has occurred with the product and that the party that has been injured by the product does not have to go outside of the European Union in order to hold that person accountable for the problem which has occurred. So the law is concerned with um, identifying that particular party on the basis that that particular party is the importer. As a matter of English law, if the situation were to be reversed, so presuppose that the three of us having this um, call at the present time uh, were located in various uh, cities in the Netherlands, and Mark was uh, representing and owning a Dutch company uh, which um, was exporting to the UK on the basis that the UK was within the European Union, but the Netherlands had decided to leave the European Union and, and had left it. And in that situation, as a matter of English law, what Mark has done, I understand, and he may well have been advised that this is the way to achieve the result he wants to achieve, but I think as a matter of English law, it doesn't work. And it doesn't work because the company which is being held out as the importer is not the importer in the situation as Mark has described it to us. Now, can I say that it, that, that is the issue for Mark? I would like to say yes, but I, um, but I have to say no. Why? Because what we're talking about here is very much an issue of Dutch law. I can tell you how it would be viewed as a matter of English law because I'm qualified to advise on English law. I'm also uh, a, admitted to the role of solicitors of the Republic of Ireland, and I've done that in order to be able to practice EU law uh, going forwards. Uh, but I'm not qualified to advise on Dutch law, and the starting point in the process is uh, for Dutch law to say what, whether what has happened actually meets the requirements of the Dutch law that has implemented the EU law that is concerned with product safety. Was that part of your consideration, Mark, when you looked at setting up the company? Did you consider Dutch law alongside EU law? Um, no, I didn't consider Dutch law uh, in particular. I must say I, I spoke to a number of people about this and no one could give me any definitive advice. So I, um, I agree with most of the comments that are made, but I don't agree with the, uh, the requirement for the subsidiary to be the importer. Okay, uh, I can understand Mark's, uh, Mark's rebuttal of uh, what I've just said. I, I understand that point. But it is the case that what, that's what we're concerned about. Um, the, both the EU law and the UK law that implements the EU law uh, talks about an importer. Um, Placing on the market, I believe, is the term. Placing on the market, indeed. You don't need to be an importer to place it on the market. You don't need to be an importer to place it on the market, but you need to be the party that is stated to be responsible. Yes, and that's what we've done here. And it's a, and it's a wholly owned but subsidiary. That party, but that party is not placing it on the market. 
the importer is treated as a matter of English law as the party that places it on the market in the absence of any other party. I think we're talking about very technical areas here, to be honest. I mean, I think that the whole purpose of this is, as you said at the start, uh, trading standards or the equivalent in Europe, they want to know who they can contact within Europe if there's a problem. We've given them the ability to contact talking tables in the Netherlands, and through that, they can get to us in the UK. We've extended our product liability policy to cover the Dutch subsidiary. So we've done all the things necessary to cover this matter. I, you know, I looked at CE marking, for instance. There's a lot of companies in Europe who will offer the ability to put their name on a product around CE marking. It's the same thing. They're not the importer, but they have insurance policies to cover their activities. Uh, first of all, CE marking is uh, a different issue. It's a related um, issue. It's a different issue. And whilst I accept what Mark has done in terms of seeking to make a company available which can be in contact to track Mark's words with the UK company if there is a problem with the product, and I accept that Mark has extended his product liability insurance. What Mark has omitted to um, point out is that in this situation, the contract which is entered into by Mark's company and let's say the French stockist in Paris, that contract is a contract made by Mark's UK company and the French stockist. That Netherlands company is not a party to the contract. As such, there is privity of contract and the Netherlands company falls outside of that. It is not a party to that contract. The fact that Mark's uh, Dutch company is stated as being the importer when one, it is not, and two, as a result of not being the importer, it is not a party to the contract, is neither here nor there. And indeed, uh, I would suggest that Mark should look carefully and discuss with his product liability insurer whether that of itself causes any problem because that Dutch company is being held out as an importer when it is not and that may of itself go to invalidate the product liability insurance that Mark has in place. I don't know. I'm not looking at the insurance policy and I certainly hope that isn't the case. I hope that I am being alarmist. Um, Mark, I'll give you a chance to respond to that and then we'll move on because I think it is it is now getting quite technical for the purposes of our, our listeners. But I will just make an observation before you do. It, it seems extraordinary that Mark, with his business experience and everything that has been happening in, in recent years, when I tried to do some research into uh, whether or not Mark was going down the right route, the lack of information available online to help what, what must be hundreds of companies in a similar position to Mark I found fascinating. Um, Mark, just in terms of what, what Stephen said there, where do, you, where, where do you go from there? Yeah, I mean, I think you're correct. I think 99% of the people in uh, companies in the UK selling into Europe won't be doing anything. I agree. Uh, and, and, and nothing will happen. So I think I what, we've, what we've done here is at least we've... I, you know, I, I, I agree with some of this stuff. I think 
Uh, you know, in terms of whether or not the Dutch company could become the importer and then the seller, yes, we could do all that. It would require additional accounting software, uh, a lot of work, and we wouldn't bother doing it and we'd just stop selling to Europe. And I think a lot of UK companies would be in exactly the same position. They would just they wouldn't be bothered to sell to Europe. And and Stephen, do you see any grounds for optimism going forward in 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 terms of what could happen and what opportunities might be around for businesses like Marks? Or is this all entirely contingent on what deal is struck if there is going to be a deal before the thirty first of December? It's entirely contingent on a deal being struck. Um, So therefore, what would you say is absolutely necessary to be in that deal? I think the points that uh, Mark has uh, referenced. Well, I think um, I'd like to try and finish on a note of optimism, if not pragmatism. Uh, So therefore, what I might ask you both to do, Mark, perhaps first, is tell us what you would say to other business owners who export to the EU, what you would say you should have at the forefront of your mind, because obviously you're going to have to manage an awful lot of risk and unknowns, certainly over the next three months. Um, Mark, a, a business with a similar size or slightly smaller turnover or a slightly bigger export market to the EU, what would you be saying to their managing director right now? Yeah, I think it's. I think it is challenging. And I, and I think the uh, the way all this is 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 coming through is that it, it, it favours larger players who have the ability to set up, you know, to do all the, the paperwork correctly, to have warehouses based within Europe uh, to store goods. So I think from, from a smaller business perspective, it's a real struggle. I think someone that's just starting up, uh, I think you'd tell them they would probably have to forget about supplying Europe for a few years until they got to the point where they got sufficient volume to make it worth them doing it. So are you confident Talking Tables will be able to continue exporting to the EU going forwards? Yeah, well, I think we can only try. I mean, we can see how the orders stack up going forward, or whether or not people don't want to deal with companies based in, in, in the UK. If it takes too long to get goods to places, if it costs too much money, we might have to stop doing it ourselves and concentrate on other markets. Or we go back to using distributors, which is one of the things we discussed earlier on. And then they, they take they take all this hassle away. But at a cost, of course. Uh, that's right, at a cost. And, and you lose control of your brand. I would say I disagree with the use distributors and lose control of your brand. Um, it doesn't have to be like that. But that's uh, no doubt a conversation for another day. Stephen, what would your advice be? The advice I would have follows on some work I've been doing recently uh, for, it happens to be a US company, looking to bring a a particular product of theirs into the EU. And that has resulted in a consideration of C-marking, both at an EU level and at an individual member state level. And as such... I think the most important thing is that a business determines what are its most important markets. The EU consists of 27 member states, ranging in economic importance uh, from Germany at the top, right through to possibly uh, Malta, possibly Cyprus, with respect to both countries. So determine your most important markets and 
do whatever you can to ensure that you're able to trade in your most important markets with acceptable risk going forwards. And whether that is trading direct, using a distributor, uh, trading direct and using an agent, uh, selling online, but work out what is it that is most important to your business and then go for it. Stephen Sidkin, partner at Fox Williams and Mark McCormack, director of Talking Tables. Thank you both very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you. For more business support on leaving the EU single market and customs union, visit businesshub.london. This podcast was commissioned by West London Business for the London Business Hub and was produced by Folder Media.